one of the benefits of being in partnership is to play to each other's strengths. So what you just described is an opportunity for someone to go, I'm not wired to be super punctual, but now I'm with someone who is. Let me just, as a couple, let's play to each other's strengths. So I'm going to be elevated a bit in this area. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Averill. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Averill. Today's episode picks up where Elliot and I left off in our conversation about conflict styles. If you haven't had the chance to listen to parts one and two of this discussion, please jump back to episodes 220 and 221 of Love and Life so you'll understand all these animals we're talking about. For years, Elliot has been using the Thomas Kilman conflict style model, which compares the way we respond and try to negotiate conflict to various animals. And if you haven't had the chance to take the quiz to find out which animal you are, Check out the link to the assessment which Tim has provided in the show notes. As we delved into conflict, the theme of power kept emerging because, of course, so much of the dissension we experience in relationships is rooted in power struggles. Elliot and I explore conflict and power right after this. Our satisfaction and joy in life is directly related to our satisfaction and joy in our relationships. Elliot and I are here to help. We'd love to design a workshop, seminar, or weekend retreat for your organization. We'll bring the psych research, of course, along with over 60 years of combined experience in psychotherapy. We'll share science-based therapeutic techniques within the context of a Christian worldview. We can level up in our relationships. Contact our producer, Tim May, at tim at loveandlifemedia.com to book us. So we talked a little bit about power, and I think there's probably a lot more to the power element of this conversation that you could share with us. So what do you think about power in general as it relates to conflict and certainly as it relates to conflict styles? Yeah, I think... Conflict is just one element of power, but it's probably the most clear-cut one where power dynamics come forward. So when I'm talking about power dynamics in marriage, I'm talking about the recognition of our gifts, our talents, our natural leanings, our desires, how strongly our environment means. Some couples, for example, have no power issues at all about how are we going to decorate the house. Others can get near divorce about what color the wall is going to be or where our furniture goes. So there's those kind of factors. And so conflict's just one piece of that. And yes, the confronters on that side of the equation of conflict will tend to be more forceful or powerful expression-wise or externally, but that doesn't mean they have all the power in the relationship. So when I'm teaching about power dynamics, and I did a, a conference recently at Harvest Bible Chapel here in Elgin that Professor May, our producer, got the video for, and so we can put it on the site sometime and people can watch that. So I'll talk about some of that quickly here, about seven main areas of power dynamics in marriage. Communication is obviously the Oreo cookie. It's the top and the bottom of the power dynamics. And it's the first part is simply just conversation. How do we converse with each other? The second part, the bottom cookie is the conflict. 
But even in that conversation, Karen, there's so many variables. Some people are direct communicators. Some people are indirect. Some people are global visionary communicators. Some are very detailed oriented. Some are very passive communicators, no nonverbals, no gestures. Can't even tell if they're emotionally beating beyond a pulse. Others are demonstrative and dramatic and speak in great exaggerated prose. And so there's so many different varieties in just even our daily conversation that take a while to move through. And so when I was in seminary getting trained in this marital counseling, family counseling dynamic, the professor that mentored me there, Dr. Charles Sell, who's gone on to be the Lord now, he said it for the first time that it takes four to seven years to build these dynamics together and actually find some symmetry and homeostasis within these balances. And that's only if you're intentionally conscious of it and talking through it. If you're ignoring it, you can spend your entire marriage in these power dynamics that are hurting you guys, hurting the relationship, negativity, criticism, condemnation, and never make it effective building. And so I basically took some of his teaching. He's the one who had a premarital curriculum that I morphed mine off of, or grew mine out of, and added different elements, including Thomas Kilman, into that and doing the conflict animals. And so then I created these seven main areas of power balance. So communication is one, split into two, conversation, conflict. And then it's family and friends and money and time and sex and faith. And each of those has their own elements that create different power dynamics. And just think about the family stuff for a minute. Whose family are you going to hang out with more? One person in the partnership might talk to their parent every day. The other one once a month. And the one who talks once a month is like, what the heck are you doing? Why are you talking to your mom all the time? Why are you talking to your dad all the time? That's not what you do. And that alone can cause conflict and power issues. And I've worked with couples where that's helped divide the family. It's separated the family where one or the other doesn't want that interaction to be every Sunday's at the in-laws, every holiday's at the in-laws. And the other one's like refuses to change. No, this is the way it's going to be. It's going to have to be that way. And so if those things aren't resolved, that becomes a power dynamic that is going to negatively affect the relationship, even if every single other area of your life as couple is great. So there's categories I go through in this dynamic with couples about, hey, let's go through conversation with family, influence of family, influence of friends, which friends do you hang out with, who gets your time, who gets your energy, who gets your treasure, who gets your talent, and go through those different dynamics. Same with money. Talking about philosophy of money. Do you see money as an asset? Do you see money as a necessary evil? Do you see money as something to grow? Do you see as money as something to save? There's so many different angles that if they're not intentionally talked about, life is so complicated. Life is difficult. Life is hard. If you don't talk through these things as couples, as even in the dating stage as a couple, if you don't talk about these things as a committed couple, they will bite you. They will end up causing friction, which leads to the conflict. And often a couple will have a repetitive fight about something where the confronter will bring it up constantly or the resolver will bring it up constantly and the avoider's avoiding it. And it's really about something totally different. It's not necessarily about that one thing. It's about what's underneath there, which is likely these power imbalances on these different topics. And that's why I have couples go through them one at a time and walk through some exercises to help it. So when you talk about power, most people want some power some of the time, and certainly in certain domains, they probably want a lot of power a lot of the Absolutely. time. Yeah, exactly. 
So when you think about couples that manage or negotiate power well, I'm thinking that there's going to be a bit of, okay, I'll have a little bit more control in this realm. I'll have a little bit more control in this realm. And as long as there's a bit of a balance of, okay, you handle the finances or you handle the amount of time that we spend with our families and friends, that sort of thing, then I can see people being able to move through these sorts of conflicts, power-related conflict now, fluidly. Absolutely. And that, you just did a little commercial for my work right there. That's a, <laughs> that, is, that is basically if I could write that out and frame that of what am I going to try to do with a couple whose conflict is currently working against them? How can we help it work for them? It's doing exactly what you just said. Let's navigate through these seven, and there's probably more, especially when you talk about kids. That could be a whole other dynamic. Right. But let's look at these seven, and that's why I go through categories in each. And again, I've sent you documents that kind of walk through some of these power dynamics that you can put up on the site for couples to or individuals to look at. And let's say, I, don't, I try not to use the word control, although it often is control. I try to talk about just leadership. Who's going to lead in this area? That sometimes helps anti-authority people like me not feel like I'm usurping or giving up control or taking it. But sometimes it's totally true. It is giving control to someone. And we try to look, where's the natural giftedness? Where's the natural talents? Who's more effective and just follow through for particular areas? So example, one of the areas of massive conflict is time. And so a lot of times it's the, I call it the timely tasker. That's one of the dynamics or styles of time. The timely tasker doesn't have the power in the relationship for time and they need to. Because we're in the Western society, especially if you live anywhere like you and I do in the Chicago suburbs, it is very time-centric. What do they call that? Monochromatic or whatever. When it's basically on the time, all the time is super important. And the more timely one should be the one to have leadership in, hey, honey, we got to get, we have to leave at 820. We can't leave at 840. We're going to be late. And most couples fight about those things because one's timely and one's not all the time. And that's silly. That's just refusing to surrender together and work together. And what happens if you give the timely tasker, the one who likes that and is good at that, you give them the freedom to help orchestrate it. And rather than resent it, you receive it and appreciate it. Oh my goodness, you just settled a massive conflict area immediately. And are you willing to surrender that? Are you willing to say, I will yield to my boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, husband, wife, because they have gifts and talents in this area. And it is important in our society. Unless you live somewhere else besides where we do, these time things matter. So that's an example. And I think you just laid that out and allowed me to put that in a little more specific. What it does too is the beauty of the two becoming one. And one of the benefits of being in partnership is to play to each other's strengths. So what you just described is an opportunity for someone to go, I'm not wired to be super punctual, but now I'm with someone who is. Let me just, as a couple, let's play to each other's strengths. So I'm going to be elevated a bit in this area. And again, our community knows that I'm not one to be like, oh, now you complete me and now I'm a better person because I'm with you. But just the reality of, okay, skill sets, strengths, let's enhance each other's. And yeah, one of you is late, consistently paying your bills and pays all kinds of fines and interest. And the other one's on time. Why in the world would you not yield to that one who can help build a structure and organization to not lose money? It's only pride selfishness that blocks you from saying, hey, let's be together. Mm -hmm. Now, some of these unifiers, you and I would say in our intimacy buildup process should not be in place until the relationship is completely committed. 
not completely right. holistically as relational, but committed. Because even as boyfriend girlfriend stage, if you're not committed to long term relationship, you shouldn't start trading responsibilities with my finance and things. That's a little risky. But once there's that completed partnership or dedication commitment to it, then I think you can start orchestrating those kind of needs and get that gets back to pacing, which is something we've talked about extensively, but always is something that I think we can speak to more because if I'm dating someone and we're not engaged even, if we're not to that level and someone's leaning on me too much to play to my strengths too much, then I'm looking at him like, wait a minute. Yeah. This is gonna feel it's gonna start feeling dependent. In sessions with me in the premarital realm, the guys like I make sure my girlfriend calls to wake me up every day for work. And I said, then stop. That's ridiculous. How are you going to lead this couple in any fashion in the future if you need your girlfriend to wake you up? Now, if she's helping you grammar, edit a paper before you turn in, that's totally different, but not a basic responsibility. And so recognizing those differences and helping each other grow. And and again, if we lean on these things too quickly, it builds codependence, not interdependence. Trying to make sure we look at our weak areas and say, certainly the boyfriend or girlfriend can challenge or encourage or even put a little pressure on you and say, hey, this isn't quite what you said you want to be as a person. And the responsibility factor. So not saying do it for me, saying, hey, do it for yourself. This is what you said you want to do. You want to be more disciplined. You said you want to be more accountable. Set your alarm and get up. And if you're a shark or owl, that won't be a hard conversation at all. (laughs) And also along those lines, if someone is on the surface appearing to give so much control, an abundance of control in almost every realm, then I'm looking at <laughs> my, my clinical vantage point is going to say to myself, that person is setting not only codependence up, but also some passive aggressive opportunities. So I don't have any control about this. So then when things don't go well, I can just blame him. <laughs> yeah. And, so, and that goes back to your power conversation in the yeah. beginning that everybody wants some whether they admit it or not, in a passive-aggressive way by not yielding and not surrendering to a mutual beneficial partnership of distribution of gifts and talents, you're holding power that is damaging the relationship. It's a stupid power. It's a negative power that is not benefiting anybody. And so again, training each other, how do we bring these things up? How do we talk through them? It may sound surprising to your listeners, but I have these aha moments with couples who've been married 30 years as much as I do brand new 20-year-olds that are thinking about getting together and they want to talk to me, I never knew that was important to you. Those kind of comments. Yeah. I never knew me not being on time really. That happens all the time because if we don't talk those through, if we don't bring those things up, that's why I create these documents that just introduce them Mm -hmm. to try to help them see these things a little bit different. Look at four or five layers to these topics rather than these surface issues where we just say, just always lay, it's just the way it is. If that's bothering you in your relationship, then let's work through that in some capacity. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And understand the values therein. Yeah. Because the one person who's very punctual, that's a value that's certainly, like you said, it's very adaptive to our modern society. It's also very respectful of people. If you say you're going to be there at eight, you're there at eight. The other person who's not so punctual may have the value of being very present in the moment. And so they might Absolutely. be in a conversation with one friend and then they're going to be 10 minutes late to see their other friend because they it wasn't their horrible person. It's just that they exactly. they were so present and available in the moment. So when you start to have a conversation that goes to that level of depth, then you can stop with a knee-jerk reaction. Like, you're always late. You're uptight about time and come to, wait, we actually are, there's some common values we share. And now how do we 
like you said, negotiate yeah. these so that we can operate independently and then also operate with respect toward one another and our community and our other relationships as a couple as well. And what happens often all the time, I put them in belief framework for these names like timely tasker. And I put them in a belief category. And then what's the expectation, which is both about values. And again, see our previous yeah. podcast about that. And so, for example, just to stay on this one, because I think the time one is huge for couples, our partners are dating. Timely taskers often get involved with what I call commodity explorers. And I'm a commodity explorer with time. And I think you are often as well. That means how much can I maximize time and squeeze 36 things into a window that would only allow eight, <laughs> right? So I see it almost as a challenge. It's almost exciting. Oh, I think I can run to the mall. I can go to Burger King. I can stop and see my mom and still get back and teach my class in time. When really, if you look at that logistically alone, it can't happen. So that's why I call it a commodity explorer. You're just always exploring this realm of how much can I squeeze at a time? Mm -hmm. And what happens? Those type of people like you and I are in that category a lot. We get involved with and have a romantic partnership with a timely tasker or a schedule maker. That's the two that are on the structured side of the time category. And so early on in relationship again, I'm having all kinds of issues with my wife about those things because to me, it was an opportunity to explore what we could do. And being late might be totally worth it if I do something else, not for a timely tasker. Being right. late is like a complete sacrifice of your soul. Like your identity has been tarnished. And so those things are hugely important and recognizing what that looks like. And sometimes we just don't talk those layers underneath. We don't get to the value belief system. We stick in the conscious present results of those. And those will be repetitive cycles of conflict if we don't get underneath them. I'd love to connect with you via my weekly newsletter. Joining the Love and Life email list ensures you're the first to know everything going on in the Love and Life family. You'll receive insider perk pricing for consultations and events, and it's the best way to keep in touch when I do what the research suggests is very healthy and take breaks from social media. Subscribe on my website, loveandlifemedia.com. And as a bonus, you'll get my free Empowered Dating Playbook. How did you move through the experience as you describe this commodity explorer? explorer is that it? Yeah. One of the things that sometimes can happen, at least from my personal experience, and I, yes, Dan is very scheduled and he's very punctual and I admire that and I respect that in him Absolutely. immensely. At the same time, if he's like, we've got to be here at this time, sometimes I feel a bit handled. Absolutely. <laughs> So how do we, so there's a power element, again, getting back to power, where in the midst of, of deeply respecting that about him, I'm also like, okay, I can't be boxed in. I cannot. Absolutely. That's part of our personality yeah. within the time, expectation, belief, value thing. And so for me, since I'm 33 years into this and you're only 10 years in, I think about myself, if I'm going to follow scripture in particular, it talks about surrendering to each other and reverence of God. And that the actual timely task part of my wife and her schedule making abilities, which really saves my caboose all the time, if I'm willingly surrendering that piece of me so that I make sure that the things that are important to both of us get negotiated and appropriately followed through on, then I'm going to yield to her. And when she says something like, we need to leave at 630, I quit thinking of the seven reasons why that's not true. And I just mm -hmm. say, you're right. Yeah. I say, you're right. Now. The beauty of that is when I'm not with her. And today was a perfect example. It's exam week at Judson. I have a lot of freedom. 
I went on a glorious hour and a half of random errands where I didn't have any idea what I was going to do. It was joyful. And I got done doing all kinds of things, including vacuuming my trucks and things I didn't even think I was doing. I was so happy. It was a 90 minute commodity explorer. And mm -hmm. I squeezed seven things into that 90 minutes. and It was so fun. And so making sure I'd be real to myself still yeah. and enjoy that authenticity mm -hmm. and enjoy that time. But when it comes to my counseling load mixed with my teaching and my preaching and my painting, Angie's the queen of our schedule. And I completely surrender to that willingly knowing it makes me more effective, makes us as a unit less confrontational because we're not arguing about that schedule. And it took me 10 years to do that. And it really was at my own expense. It did not help me and it didn't benefit us a couple. And how am I going to lead her as a spiritual leader in our couple and ignore the principles of her sharpness and her timely tasking and her schedule making? It was a matter of letting go of the pride, releasing the rebellious nature like you're talking about, not feeling handled and controlled and just say, no, I'm surrendering to a more effective leadership in that particular area. Not easy to do though. It sounds easy maybe when we're walking through it, but it is not easy. As no. you know, as a good commodity explorer yourself, you recognize it's not easy. Yeah. I'm blessed personally because, and Angie, obviously you guys have worked out your stuff, but I think Angie can be a little bit more, this is the way it is. Confrontational, right to your face. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Principle and standards. Whereas Dan, I can be like, I'm artistic. I'm more free floating. <laughs> and he'll be like, oh yeah, it's true. She is. And I love that about her. So yeah. there's a little bit less of the dogmatic, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think you, not being ADHD, I don't think you had as much dysfunction in your time issues where I was having massive dysfunction. It was causing me to miss things that I was supposed to be at or to double commit to things and hurt people. And when two people show up at your house for counseling at the same hour early in my career, that's not appropriate. So there was ways that was really causing dysfunction and ineffectiveness, which made me look at myself quicker and say, I need to yield to this. I need to really make this a discipline issue, surrender it to God, surrender it to my wife, who actually will be more engaged with me when I give her some power to help me be better, which mm -hmm. gets her excited as a maximizer. If we want to talk about strength finders and stuff as well, someone who wants to maximize that and, and the principles and the standards of her leadership style. So yeah, it's different for every couple. We're just giving examples based on ours because it's real, it's tangible, it's easy to Have you heard? You can now listen to my book, Single is the New Black. Don't wear white till it's right. As you know, I wrote the book I wish had been available to me when I was single. So obviously, it's not about how to snag a man. Rather, it's all about how to stay strong amidst single shaming and remain true to yourself and never settle for anything less than an extraordinary relationship. Find it on Audible or iTunes. And for a free sample, check out Chapter 11 of Single is the New Black in Episode 145 of Love and Life. What else do you think is important to understand about power in general, of course, as it relates to conflict? I'm thinking, how often do couples come to your sessions saying, we've got a power concern? I would imagine not that often, although it's very often underlying things. And I just wonder, power can be a dirty word. People don't love the idea of, they want to think, oh, we have this beautiful relationship. And when you get married, just there's no power play. There's none. That's not going on. That would be totally unhealthy. And I would argue that's like saying gravity is unhealthy. It's going to be there. It yeah, is. Cool. It exists. And it's just a ma matter of trying to understand it and work with it as opposed to 
thinking that we can get rid of this in our relationship, this power balance imbalance. Yeah, I, I think power struggle. in general is seen as such a negative word. And that, and even more so in evangelical culture, church culture, Christian culture than it is in the world, that until someone has like dramatic power that's super impressive and real status and money, then we're like, oh, that's so cool. They got all that power. But just general power about who you are as a person and being an antagonistic, anti-authority, rebellious kid, I recognized early on I was fascinated with power and I would figure out who had the power and who didn't and who I could manipulate with misbehavior and harsh words and who I couldn't, which teachers could I mess around with and not get thrown out, which ones were going to throw me out, all those things. I was fascinated by power dynamics. And I think it's just a part of my personality, but I think all of us recognize power. And we want a certain level of power. We want the ability to influence our own environment, to get fulfilled in our careers, in our work, in our family, in sex and money. I think we all have that natural. We just don't talk about it. So you're right. Not many couples come in and say to me in a categorical way, we have a power struggle. Can you help us walk through that? No, they come in about, we're fighting about the same thing all the time. Or we can't agree on this issue with our family how much time to spend with their family. And we're really to the point of divorce over this. Can you please help us? And then I introduce it quickly. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> it's a power dynamic. It's a power thing about where's this influence? Where's this control? Where's this leadership? Where's this authority? And when we use those kind of words quickly, it helps to disarm it a tiny bit. And then, like I said, I use words like lead, lead rather than control, just because control gets people a little wigged out. Mm -hmm. Who's going to lead in this area and why? Who's going to have a little more influence? Who's going to have a little more authority just to help the family, the couple be more effective, it usually minimizes the fear factor of power and allows it to be seen as a commodity for growth, benefit for. Any other elements of the framework that you spoke about and that you teach when you do your seminars? Anything else that we should yeah, I mean, leave listeners with? Yeah, we. I don't think we can not mention that sex has a lot of power. And whether you're just in a committed relationship or uncommitted relationship for that matter, a non-committed relationship. And there's a dynamic about power that's automatically associated with it. Just the act of surrendering your body or disrobing in front of somebody is extremely vulnerable and puts itself out there in a powerful dynamic or to the power. And so again, making sure that those dynamics are talked about, the expectations of what's going to be involved sexually, your beliefs about sex as a whole. Do you think it's good? Do you think it's bad? Do you think it's holy? Do you think it's worshipful? Do you think it's disgusting? Those things are all really important. We talked a little bit about that kind of stuff in Sexual Wound. And you and I have talked about doing more a podcast about pornography and other power dynamics there. But just like we've talked about with time and money and conflict, there's sexual styles that are super important in the power dynamic that can really hurt a couple, hurt a partnership, or make it joyful and wonderful. Yeah, that does sound like... Another episode just to delve into that into more depth. Yeah, but it's so important. So I hope if nothing else, whether listeners identified with some of the power dynamics we talked about through conflict animals or some of the time frame styles, I just hope people are willing to see power as a positive thing and learn how to negotiate that. And the more committed you are as a couple, the more you need to dive in and explore those things. If you don't call it power, call it anything else. It's the same technique to me, same dynamic to me. What's a euphemism for power that seems to work with couples? When I use leading, that seems to work the yeah. best. Even though that seems a little lesser than it should be, it seems to be the one that works. Yeah. Who's going to take the lead in this particular yeah. domain? Who's going to take Then the it lead? feels like you're willingly giving them the lead. 
oh yeah, my, my husband's better at being on time. I'll give him the lead there rather than yeah. I give him the power to dictate to me yeah. when I have to be somewhere. And then just like you said, I feel handled. I feel controlled. I'm like, no, you're not going to do that. I'm going <laughs> to do my own thing. <laughs> yeah. And if it's not negotiated, that's what happens. People get locked into that over and over again. And in my opinion, I said, I think I've said this on here before. I've said it on a bunch of conference videos. If you know someone, like for example, let's just stay on the time. If you know your spouse or your partner is a timely tasker that really needs to be on time, it's super important. And you're constantly making them late almost on purpose. That's contempt. That That is damaging the relationship. And you might think, oh, I'm just keeping my leverage alive. You're killing your relationship. You are causing massive division that's going to be difficult to heal. Yeah. And how do you, it's funny because when you're saying all this, I'm thinking about, it's a lot of adjustments to honor and respect the person that you have committed to spending your life with. For sure. And it's adjustments that initially might be like, oh, and then eventually you just get more used to it. And then you realize it's part of loving that person. You have to practice it. And when you're afraid of it, and you try and it doesn't go well, then you're like, well, it's not worth it. So that's mm-hmm. why sometimes a third party and getting someone trained in negotiation and counseling or therapeutic or crisis work or something is so important because if it doesn't happen, you don't learn some of those skills to learn how to negotiate. And of course, my new book will be out this year. I didn't get it last year, but I, I didn't get it in 2022. It's going to come out in 2023. That'll be a great tool for those kind of things to help people start to learn how to use that language. And and because once you get a little reward in that, and you say, oh my goodness, we're not fighting about this anymore. And I handled this power. We negotiated this power dynamic and now it's a benefit for us. It's so rewarding. Then it's encouraging. And you actually want to tell others about it too. It's like, hey, we figured out, we used this tool and we worked on it. And so just I'm encouraging your, your folks listening to, to consider it and to be willing to work on it. We'll put some of those documents on the site so they can grab them and download them and do them themselves and hopefully learn more to, to engage encourage and inspire. Yeah. And your new book, Negotiating the Bonds of Love, is that it? Yep. Yep. All right. Negotiating the Bonds of Love. Producers right here. They'll be making sure I'm going to give Tim some deadlines to make sure I get it done on time. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. (laughs) See, I'm going to yield. I'm going to yield to his leadership as a good firstborn (laughs) and help him help me get that down. Yes. But I am pretty disciplined. Once I get my mind on it, I'll, I have Christmas break coming. I'm so excited to start writing. All right. Yeah. I think that's a good place to leave it with the cliffhanger of stay tuned because this book's coming out for anyone who wants to go into more depth. But yeah, in the meantime, there will be resources and worksheets to help concretize all this and help us understand ourselves individually and as a couple. And as always, Karen and I are both more than willing to work with you. So you can see that opportunity online as well. And though no one's asked us yet, we would be willing to work together with a couple as well. And then you can get the female male dynamic and you can get more on the confronter side with me and more on the avoidance side with her. And although don't ask us about a lot of time details, cause you're going to have to ask our spouses about, them. Yeah, but we like can it. help you negotiate. And sometimes it can be beneficial to do it in a format of, of both people as well. I don't know if Dan's got anything lined up for us that in the management side of what that would look like, but I think it would be something we'd be willing to do. Yeah. Or to construct a workshop or seminar or weekend That'd be retreat. really fun. All those sorts of things. That would be a blast. Yeah. Let me close them out in prayer. All right, Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to talk about conflict styles and power dynamics and how important it is, Lord, to a relationship. So for the listeners that are wanting to date or those who are involved in the dating market or found their committed partner or 
already engaged or already married, just pray that some of this information Karen and I brought forward would be encouraging, would be challenging, would be willing to investigate and receive and learn new language, new vernacular, new systemic. Lord, power is important. It's a part of who we are as human beings. So may the listener just receive that and recognize their own power and, and where they're maybe deferring in areas they need to lead, where they're passive when they need to be assertive, where they're maybe too strong, where they need to be a little more restful or relaxed. So just pray that your spirit would help inspire, grow, resolve, heal. And if there's ways, Lord, that Karen or I or this podcast or the work we're able to offer would benefit, we pray that would take place as well. So give a great blessing to the listeners. Thank you for this time, Lord, where we could share in this way. Amen. The love and life hack for this week is it's not who's controlling this area of your relationship. It's who's leading. We hope our deep dive into conflict styles has been enlightening and encouraging for you. We're here to provide us all with tools to help us level up and thrive in our relationships. Thank you very much for sharing a part of your day with us. We are so honored to have you as part of the Love and Life family. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril.